Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Scripture reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 to 34 and 53 to 56. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they, were, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to a land at Genseray and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about the whole reason, whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we come to this moment of reflection and rest, of silence, this might be the most still and reflective we've been all week because we live lives that ramp up so fast that we become anxious, we become exhausted. We climb the ladder of life not even reflecting on where it's leading. Some of us feel like we've climbed the ladder of life only to realize it's leaning against the wrong wall. We become distracted, discouraged, or overconfident, or overentertained, and we're escaping from our worries or our cares or our concerns through a number of different methods and means and addictions. But however we find ourselves right now, help us to see that we all need the same thing. We all need you. Like a sheep without a shepherd, we're eating.
scripture. There's always this two-way conversation taking place. And we're not merely reading the scriptures, but in a way, scripture reads you. And so even as we begin, it asks you a question. What propels you? What fuels you? What moves you? And so here we see the engine that drives the world. Part of the context that you don't get on just a simple reading, especially with the verses that were in between the verses that Rita read. When you take this in its totality, you have a picture of Jesus calling his people away to a quiet place. When they get to that quiet place, the verses that were not read are the feeding of the 5,000 people out in the wilderness. And then Jesus walking on water and them being scared. And he says, take heart, it is I. And then, we re- and then we catch back up with them in verse 53 when they cross back over. But what's taking place there is that in the previous passage, there's just been a tragedy. With the Roman Empire occupying Israel, Herod, the local puppet king, has murdered Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And so Jesus says, let's get away to a quiet place. We're under stress. We're afraid. We're taking on fire. Let's get away to a quiet place. But the quiet place also is the rural countryside. And the rural countryside was the place where the zealots lived. These were the people who wanted to take up arms against the Roman government and overthrow them. And so part of what's happening is Jesus is coming out to the wilderness, and the people see him, and they flock to him because they want to make him king by force. They're saying, we've had enough of these puppet kings that use their power to crush other people. We want you to use your power to crush them. Now, what happens when these revolutionary movements begin? Even to this day, in rural areas of the Middle East and other places in the world, when a warlord's disciples come to them and say, we want a revolution, they begin handing out weapons and doing weapons training. But when these people flock to Jesus saying, we want a revolution, he begins handing out bread and teaching them to be distributors of more bread so everybody can eat. Now, when we look at bread today, with our modern sensibilities, we see carbohydrates. Like, that's the great meaning behind bread for us. But back then, in a place where food was much more unpredictable in its supply and scarce, bread was life. And so Jesus says, I'm bringing a revolution, but I'm not bringing it by dealing death. I'm bringing it by dealing life an entirely different fuel source for the trajectory of this world, an entirely different mission. The kingdom of God is all-encompassing, and it's upside down, and it thrives by dealing life, not death. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be involved in this mission of following this sort of king? There are a thousand things I could point out. I want to give you three. First, it's compassionate. The mission of following Jesus is compassionate. Second, it's comprehensive. It involves everything. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus says, see, I am renewing, not some things, not just the people that like me, I am renewing all things. It's fully comprehensive. And finally, it's collaborative. God and all of God's almighty power could do this all on God's self. And for some reason, God delights for you and me to join in and be a part of it. So first, let's look. It's compassionate. You see compassion show up even before the word compassion shows up in the text. Jesus sees his disciples are tired and says, come away and get some rest. See, I've heard 
rhetoric before about do something for Jesus. We're going to do something for God. We'll do something for Jesus. My friends, there is nothing you and I could do for Jesus he could not do for himself. He invites you into the mission because he delights to have your company and mine and because it's the best pathway for our growth. He does not invite you into the mission to use you, abuse you, or burn you out. And he says, get rest. Let's get away and get some rest. He understands that the human condition is fractured. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago understanding the human condition is fractured without any screen time or emails or any of that? And even then they were tired. Think about today and where you are. I remember reading an article maybe 20 years ago about how when email became prevalent, the prediction was communication is so efficient and so effective we can probably work just four hours a week and maintain the same productivity. And we laugh because now email is in your pocket. You can work anywhere, therefore you work everywhere. And we're exhausted. I read an article in Forbes yesterday talking about how during the pandemic, email fatigued, this is a survey that Forbes had done, during the pandemic, email fatigue, just the frustration of dealing with email, led 38% of respondents to say they would consider quitting their corporate job because it's just too much. A study was done several years ago that shows that today, with all of the advertising that comes our way, with all the emails and all the text and all the screens, our brains process the amount of words in the average volume of a novel, of an, an entire book per day that you are reading that you didn't know. What do you think that does to your axons and neurons and dendrites and nerve connections? I'll tell you what it does. It exhausts you. It makes you frustrated. gives you anxiety. And we're all swimming in it. So the question is, Jesus says, come and get rest. Where do you particularly need rest? Where are you striving or running? Hear him say, come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. What would that look like if you're weak as you plan it out? Maybe today you get out your calendar and you put in your calendar as an appointment with your best friend or your mentor or your hero or your boss and it just says, time with God. Solitude. And you guard that appointment like you'd guard anything else that's important to you. So right off the bat, Jesus is showing compassion. And then it says when he saw them in verse 34, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Another gospel writer goes on to, to expand on this saying, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed from all the trouble that was coming their way because this world is difficult to live in. And they were helpless because they were not up to the task. That inner critic kept working on the inside. And he sees it and he moves toward you. The word for compassion is actually one of my favorite Greek words. Yes, that was a nerdy sentence. One of my favorite Greek words. And the word is splagnizomai. Splagnizomai is the word. That's what Jesus was doing in that moment. And what it means is to have a gut reaction to something that moves you. What moves Jesus? What gives him this guttural reaction, this, you know, where he, it's in the limbic system. It's just natural. It's to the bones. It's to the cords, to his organs. What moves him? Seeing you and me 
lost like sheep without a shepherd. Does that strike you? Does that surprise you? Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines compassion as sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. See, empathy is I, I feel with you, or sympathy is I feel with you. Empathy is I get it, I understand. But compassion says I suffer with you and I feel it and I'll do something about it. Jesus is filled with compassion. You see this throughout his ministry. When he's walking through a city and people want him to sign autographs and touch their child and bless their kid and all of this, and he sees this woman who's been bleeding for years on the outside of society, he stops and the text says he saw her. This invisible woman on the outside of society who everybody else had been avoiding her entire adult life, and he stops and he saw her. Compassion. Children were not that highly valued in this particular society. And as the kids were trying to get closer to Jesus one day, his disciples were irked by them because they had bigger fish to fry, better things to do. This was not the way that you design an upwardly mobile marketing campaign by pitching to these three and four-year-olds. And Jesus stops everything and says, let the little ones come to me. Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as them. Compassion. To the forgotten, to the lost, to the left out, he sees you. He moves toward you. Does that surprise you? See, some of you, when you think about Christianity or the church, the word compassion is the last word you would imagine because you've been hurt. You've been shunned. You've been shamed. You've been blamed. You've been pressed down or left out for whatever reason. I hear a thousand stories a month. I want you to know that Jesus sees you and moves toward you, not just with sympathy, not just with empathy, with compassion. And some of you are discouraged. You're tired. You're not in the place where you wanted to be at this point in your life. Or you come to church every Sunday or you visit online and when it comes time for confession, you confess the same things over and over again, wondering over it and move on. And you're exhausted. See Jesus move toward you with compassion. Now, his compassion does not mean that he always tells you what you want to hear. See, that wouldn't be compassion. That wouldn't be love. His compassion actually speaks the truth in love. It challenges and redirects. You know, one of the difficult parts of parenting is telling kids things they don't want to hear. Because life would be a lot smoother if we just said yes to everything. Until my seven-year-old tries to drive our Toyota Sienna minivan down 29th Street. Then it's a big mess. Until our kids eat whatever they want to eat and then they're hurting by the, by the end of the afternoon. That's a big mess. So true love actually redirects and challenges. And Jesus is the good shepherd. Where in your life might he be compassionately challenging you right now? Where might he be saying, I know that you've been going in this direction, and how's it working out for you? You're damaging yourself. You're hurting others. Follow me. I'll walk with you. 
I saw a post by my friend Chuck DeGroote this week on Instagram that talks about how when you find yourself in that deep, dark pit where you're frustrated with yourself because you're not changing fast enough, don't despair. Just start where you are because Jesus is already there. What would it look like for you to actually trust that? When you walk out these doors today, the loudest voice for you to hear is him saying, I'm with you. I have compassion on you. The mission of God is compassionate. You know what that means then? This should be the most compassionate community in North Park. Along with St. Luke's, our friends, and all the other churches here. What if the Christian church was known as being that place where those people are compassionate toward all of us? That's a great measure of how we're living into our mandate to follow Christ. What would that look like? It's compassionate. It's also comprehensive. This is a full assault on all that has gone wrong in this world. See, Scripture opens up with a beautiful picture of a good God blessing a beautiful world that he's created and saying, it is good. And humans are connected to God in a way that can only be described as they went for a walk with God in the garden in the cool of the afternoon. I have no idea what that's like. I hope to enjoy it one day. But then there's fracturedness, brokenness, fallenness, enters the scene, and now people are running from God. The first people, the first humans had great intimate relationship with each other in such a way that they were comfortable in their own skin, fully known and fully loved. It was described as being naked and not ashamed. And then fracturedness and fallenness and brokenness ensues. And we've been hiding from each other ever since. Socially, there was great relationship between people. And now there's blame shifting and war and scapegoating. The natural world was operating in harmony. Humans with the elements, with the terrain, with the animals, all of it working in symbiotic beauty, flourishing, mutual thriving. But with fracturedness and brokenness, fallenness, there's wildfires raging, even now in California and Oregon. There's entire cities underwater in Germany because of flooding. It's as though creation itself is groaning. Into this scene, Jesus, the coming king, walks, and everything he does is putting the world back to rights where it's become fractured. And so even in this passage, in verse 31, they're tired. He invites them to rest. In verse 34, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He feeds them and teaches them. In the verses in between, they're afraid and alone, and he goes to them, tells them, take heart, it is I, and says, I will go with you. In verse 56, they're sick, and he heals them. And here's what I want you to see. Is the mark of the kingdom of God primarily something that's proclaimed with words or demonstrated by actions? And Jesus would say, it's always both. He teaches them in a way their lives are transformed, and then he feeds them. He proclaims forgiveness of sins and reuniting with God, and then he goes and heals the sick. It's always both because it's all fractured, and he's putting it all back together. And so a Christian can say, I'm living into the coming kingdom of God where there's enough bread for everybody where we will die no more, where we will perish no more, where we will run and hide no more, 
where we will be fully known and fully loved. One day, we will eat and drink at that great banquet. And so today, you can live your life not only in that hope, but with that perspective. As an ambassador of that kingdom, living that kingdom into this world. It's compassionate, it's comprehensive, and it's collaborative. See, in a previous chapter, we looked at this maybe four weeks ago. Jesus sent out his friends and followers two by two. This is when we had our friends share stories of how God has been at work in your life as you have joined Jesus in mission to renew the city. And now we're seeing the end of that in verse 30 when he calls them back. He sent them out and he brings them back. He says, tell me, what'd you learn? What'd you see? What'd you hear? Other gospel writers expound on that conversation as he gives them a deeper teaching, more knowledge, and then sends them back out again. Now here's the thing. The feeding of the 5,000 illustrates that he calls them to be a part of the great mission, and they're completely unqualified. That's part of the point of 5,000. It says 5,000 men. This was probably heads of households. There were more likely 15,000, 20,000 people there, and they're saying, we're at the conference. I love doing conferences in North Park because you do lunch, and you say lunch is on your own. Here's a map of restaurants around here, 30 restaurants within three blocks. And so they're thinking, Jesus, you're teaching at the conference. This is great. Send them out for lunch on their own. And he says, we're in the wilderness. There's no food here. You feed them. And they say, we can't. Well, what do you have? A couple loaves and a few fish, but it's utterly not enough. That's okay. Give me what you have. And he multiplies it, gives it back to them for them to distribute. And here's the point, is they were never capable of fulfilling the mission. See, one of the ways I invite you to serve in this church, I say, look at your passions, talents, skills, and abilities. Let's find something that matches where you are, your natural strengths. That's just good leadership stuff. That's good to great and all that Jim Collins and all that stuff. I want you to have joy as you're serving in this church. I also really love it when someone says, I'm terrified of trying this, and I'm going to try it. And then we talk one month or six months or a year later, and they say, this has been one of the greatest areas where God's been at work in my life. Because... Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Right? Jesus doesn't call you because you're qualified, because you're good enough, strong enough, educated enough. Jesus qualifies you as he calls you, gives you what you need for the journey. And then what you realize is your circle of ability and maturity and depth actually expands. So what does that look like in your life? One uh, commentator on 2 Corinthians actually wrote this. It's not God's intention that we should be in ourselves adequate to our tasks. Rather, he wants that we should be inadequate. If we only accept the tasks which we think are adapted to our powers, we're not responding to the call of God. The church is always in a crisis and always will be. There will be difficulties, limitations, insoluble problems, lack of people and money, a menacing outlook, Endless misunderstandings and misrepresentations. We're not only to do our work despite these things. They are precisely the conditions requisite for the doing of it. And Eugene Peterson says, and we do all that, not only collaborating with Jesus, but collaborating with each other. The body of Christ 
the community of faith, the church, the church universal, and the church local, in our case, Renew Church, becomes a family of brothers and sisters with one Father, God Almighty, with the same brother, Jesus Christ. And we're adopted into this great family and this great mission. And we look around and we say, I don't know you very well. I don't have all that much in common with you. There might be some people in this room that wouldn't be here if you had a vote. You're adopted into a family that you wouldn't have selected. And yet here they are, your brothers and sisters. And as we do, we're transformed. Eugene Peterson wrote, writes about that like this. Worship shapes us not only individually, but as a community, a church. If we're going to grow up into Christ, we have to do it in the company of everyone who is responding to the call of God. Whether we happen to like them or not has nothing to do with it. In the very beginning, Jesus calls this unlikely cohort of people, zealots and tax collector, fishermen and you know, people who'd rather stay home. And he calls them all together around himself. The early church was a mixture of Hebrews and Greeks and people of all these other ethnicities and cultures. And today, we are gathered together around the mission of Christ. And so we can differ in all sorts of other ways, but the thing that unifies us is the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So I leave you with this. Don't try this without the gospel. Remember I told you the definition of compassion is not only to see your pain and feel it, but to be committed to doing something about it? Jesus sees the hunger of this world, and then he allows himself on the cross to be taken and blessed and broken and given for the life of the world. He sees the injustice and the violence and the pain and the suffering, and he takes it all upon himself on the cross, drinking it down to the very bottom of the glass. And in his resurrection, showing that the final word on this world is not death, but life. And so we have the courage to follow him with compassion. To follow him collaboratively. To follow him in his comprehensive mission to renew all things. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now. That as those first followers had ears to hear your voice, that we would hear your voice as well. Give us the courage to respond. Help us to see your compassion toward us and then reflect that compassion out to this world. Help us to see your comprehensive mission of renewal and then join in all things, whatever our abilities or certain sphere of influence may be. Help us to see that you collaboratively call us to yourself, you call us together, and then you redirect us outward as your very hands and feet to work with you for the renewal of all things. And so bring us to life as we follow you in this great mission. Transform our lives and our neighborhoods and our city and our world, we pray in your name. Amen.